0: Welcome to The Market Tech, a podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. The Market Tech is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. Today, my guest co-host, Leslie Talbot, SVP Marketing at Corporate Visions, and I are gonna sit with three brilliant marketing executives who truly are at the top of their game. They're gonna share some of the best practices as it relates to helping their companies position to win. Essentially, these leaders, they help their companies define what they market they intend to win. And then they figure out how they deserve to, to win it. And they're going to tell us how they, they accomplish this. And it's on the queue to introduce these three lovely individuals, Carrie Brooke, current CMO at Inveris, formerly from Salesforce, Heidi Bullock, Chief Marketing Officer at Telium, Sydney Sloan, two-time Chief Marketing Officer, Product Marketing Executive, and currently a Market and Product Strategy Advisor. Welcome, everyone.
1: Thanks, Thank you.
0: So let's get to it and let's start with the basics. This one is for everyone. You know, for me, when I think about product marketing, uh, and when people ask me, what is product marketing? Uh, I, I whittle it down to three simple words. Product marketers help companies position to win. And win is an acronym. And and the W stands for who are you going to win with? So which target customers, ICPs, buyer personas, and who are we going to win against? So we're, we're talking about competitors, existing competitors emerging competitors adjacent competitors the i in win is the impact that we provide through the value we offer it's not enough to just think about the value that we provide these customers it's we have to quantify and and provide a, a narrative about the impact that we're going to provide to these customers through the solutions we provide and then the n in win is narrative we have to craft a narrative for our internal stakeholders, think sales, the customer success, uh, marketing, all the folks in the revenue engine. And we also have to craft a narrative for external individuals, prospects, customers, partners, investors. And this narrative should convey our value. And that is what product marketing does. We help companies position to win. But that's just my definition. I'm curious. What does product marketing do at your respective companies? And Carrie, let's start with you.
1: Um, Excellent. So I really think about it as for the the market that we're going after, how has the world changed for those companies and, and for those human beings as well? So what opportunities have arisen? What problems have been created? And once we establish that, it's who is experiencing this new world and how? So who are the buyers? Who are the users? Who are the companies that are experiencing this new world? And how are they experiencing it as well? And then finally, it's what is the value that we're bringing in that new world? And how can we help? What solutions do we have? How can we create a partnership? And then finally, just... The narrative is really getting those words out into the world. So that's what I think of of product marketing.
0: Brilliant. And and Heidi, and I love, Carrie, that you said experiences, because uh, experiences are what uh, allows to be sticky with our both prospects and customers. Heidi, at Telium, what does product marketing look like? What do they do?
2: Sure. So I I think that both of you have covered it really nicely, but I I think, you know, I always think of product marketing as the storytellers. Um, I think there's a a lot of organizations. I've been in SaaS for a long time and in tech, and I, I get into a lot of companies and they talk a lot about the what they don't necessarily focus on the why. And I think at at, at the kind of the highest level, I think of product marketing as the storytellers and the folks that do kind of the best job at making something come alive and and actually driving people to take an action. So it has to, uh, to me, it has to kind of win over not only the intellect, but also the sentiment. So it's winning the heart and mind of your buyers. Um, I break it down into a similar acronym as you, Rowan. I, I like yours actually better, but I always think about the who and being clear on who we're selling to and making sure that, you know, especially in a lot of companies, there's a, a clearly defined ICP, because I always tell my company, you know, we're not selling to my mom. Uh, I wish we were easier. Uh, then I think about, you know, really the why and making sure that we have a clear value prop. Uh, then I think about sort of the what, and, and the piece that I see a lot of companies not have is sort of the product marketing team that does a lot of analysis to understand, you know, where are the opportunities, where where are our challenges, and where do we kind of need to fine tune things? I, I think that's something I, I've seen um, that I'm trying to do more of at Telium. And then lastly, and I think, you know, this was touched on is kind of that internal marketing and, and the how so making sure your partner teams, your sales teams, your SDRs, your customer success orbs, they have the materials to be successful. So it's it's a lot, but again, I think just telling that through a story because people remember stories. They don't remember pages of
0: data sheets. Well said, and the why before the what, amen to that. Sydney, whether at SalesLoft or even prior, what, what do you ensure your product marketers do?
3: Well, I'll first of all say that I think product marketing is one of the hardest jobs, like not just in marketing. it's it's a really tough job. And I can come by that honestly, I spent fifteen years in product marketing at Adobe across different segments and industries and and product lines. And you know it, I, I think of that role as a quarterback. They're really at the intersection of company strategy and helping define the strategy using those quant you know the quant side of assessment and analysis and really understanding what's going on in the market and helping lead the company in a, in a defined go-to-market strategy. And then they're like straddling between product and sales. And so when you're working with your product leaders, you're you know making sure that you're bringing the, the market view to what's going on. You're helping try and create that long form narrative of what you want the product or platform to represent and kind of pulling them out of features and capabilities into like, well, what story are we trying to tell about all this great stuff that we're building and then showcase that through the, the demos. And also you're working with analysts on helping set the, comp- the, the vision for the category. And then at the same time you're partnering with sales and really helping the sales teams understand what the capabilities and value the product delivers. Partnering with the enablement teams, a lot of times they're actually doing the training um, and building out those sales and customer tools. And so and I think they get pulled across those intersections. And last but not least, you know, helping the marketing teams define the campaigns, what, understanding who the personas are, sometimes writing copy. Um, I think in small companies, you know, they they're counted on a lot to you know really be that center point. I recommend that. Product marketers are the first hire to a lot of startups that I advise, but then when you get into larger companies, they start to get more segmented, and so they're product marketing for industry, product marketing for segments. It's a dynamic role, and someone who really really enjoys being kind of at the front and center of the strategy and knows how to work hard as someone that will excel in this role.
4: So I just have a question, and, and you all kind of touched on this a little bit, but I was just curious. Where does product marketing actually live in your organization? So, who does it roll up to? And you talked a little bit about the interlocks that you have with, with other departments, but I, let's just go in the same order. Um, Carrie, Heidi, Sydney, just interested in, in hearing about the actual reporting structure and then who you also touch.
1: It's an interesting case in Inveris, um, not because the, the PMM direct reports directly into, into me, into the CMO organization, um, but what's really interesting is it's actually, an Inveris, a brand new function, and I'll, I'll dig into that a little bit more when we talk about building out teams, but um, it's, it's a brand new function, which is crazy as far as I'm concerned. I've never been in a company that didn't have product marketing, Um, But what we're building right now, what it's, where the the key interlocks and the key stakeholders are going to be, so first of all, product, um, right, obviously, um, inputting into the roadmap, providing market trends, giving customer content and all sorts of other collaboration points, connection points between product and product marketing. Um, And then we have a a team of what we call growth marketers, who are pretty much the key stakeholder for us, uh, for PMM. And their stakeholder is sales. So what we try and do is to have one marketing unit reaching into the field to reduce the noise, which kind of brings me to my last part, which is enablement. The interlock and the connection with enablement um, is, uh, is just shown every single day that when we don't connect, connect with them, there are issues. So I would say products, our growth marketers and uh, the enablement team. Heidi, what about you? Yeah, So I
2: I think like one thing that we maybe should have said when we started is, you know, product marketing, it it may look different in your company depending on your product. (laughs) Um, And so I think, um, you know, for us, we have a CDP. Uh, it's it's more of a, you know, considered purchase. It's an enterprise sale. But, you know, as an example, like if you're working at a company like I did at Marketo, where it was maybe something that uh, we started uh, SMB. So I just kind of wanted to highlight that I, I think depending on your product, if it's like, a, like Slack ver- versus, you know, something else, it, it may look different. Right. But for us, you know, product marketing reports into me, into the CMO function, uh, very similar to what Carrie just said and i think for us you know it's it's like sydney said i mean i think it's kind of like i think of it as like the hub it that role is so critical and has so many different functions and for us you know we we just actually are, had a product meeting today and the folks that were involved were sales for sure or sdr organization because i i feel like that's often one of the first touch points for for many people um, we have enablement education, our CS team, the product team, and then I would also say our international counterparts, um, because again, for them, it may look a little bit different for their regions. And we just want to make sure that that translation is happening. So we we definitely spend a lot of time there as well.
4: And Sydney? Um, so
3: it has marketing in it. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's, it's funny. I had this conversation with my CEO at SalesLoft and I told him, I said, if if product marketing doesn't report to marketing, I, I, I won't be here. I, and I'm, I mean, I meant it. He was like, well, that's very short-sighted of you. And I was like, no, because I really, you know, to be a great marketer, I think you have to be involved in the strategy. And I I've talked about the role of product marketing and strategy. I've seen it be part of product before. And what I fear when that happens is they come more launch captains and less kind of market sh- creators. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, at Adobe product marketing reported into the GM of a business unit. and what was cool about that was we were PL owners. So that's I like that because we were still running launches but we, we were also working with the other marketing teams on defining the campaigns and you know setting the budget and strategy and, and had accountability for the business. Um, but you know if I had to be asked hands down, it absolutely should be in marketing.
0: Sydney, you talked about product marketing being tough, and amen to that. As it relates to, uh, and you you all just covered the interlocks that are required uh, for product marketing to succeed, because if product marketing were an island unto itself, uh, all the goodness it creates would be absolutely useless. As such, considering the interlocks that are required for product marketing to succeed, how are your teams, what is it, what does your product marketing teams look like? How are you building out the teams with, with sub functions under each product marketing leader? Sydney, let's start with you. What did product marketing look like at, um, at sales and what were all the sub within it?
3: Yeah. And I, I've, I've had teams of, you know, three product marketers up to 50. Um, and, and so I think it evolves as the company evolves. So, You know, you first of all start with your general product marketing that uh, that you know aligns with product management and they're responsible for launching, positioning, telling the story. Um, then a lot of times I'll have a dedicated competitive Intel uh person um, that's really looking at market, pairing a lot with the analyst relations team. Uh then you start to get into specializing. So at Salesoft, we created a solution marketing team that was really helping on the post-sale customer experience, so helping them to position their products and figure out how they should be priced and how do we continue to deliver a great customer experience post-sale. Um, and then also we introduced value engineering into that, um, that program uh, and that, that team. And then you get into the industry specific. So if you're focusing on multiple industries then you'll have dedicated product marketers for each industry, financial services, telco, whatever those industries are. Um, those folks, I really love hiring people from the industry into those roles. Um, and they bringing that industry expertise and then kind of pairing them with someone that's kind of a core product marketer.
0: Brilliant. Uh, Heidi.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 definitely agree that it depends on your size of organization and just where you're at, because again, like many people, like they, they might hear, wow, that there's 10 product marketing marketers and that sounds really luxurious. So definitely, definitely want to start by saying it depends on the size of your company, but I think for us that the core areas that that we identified as, I agree with Sydney on this, we definitely have somebody that focuses on competitive, just because again, like not that they own every piece of competitive, they work with different folks, like our SCs in the organization. Uh, they definitely talk to a lot of people to collect it, but they have to be the person that's distributing that information and, and keeping it fresh. And that that's a full-time job for a lot of people.
0: I'm sorry to interrupt, but when you yeah. say competitive Intel, are you also, does this person also look like at your category, your market? And are they doing market research as well? Or is this strictly focused on competitive?
2: So I think that those are they're a little bit of both. I mean, I think to really understand the competitive landscape and change and what's happening, you you almost have to be doing some market research as well. So our person is, but we we also have somebody else that really owns kind of like a analyst relations and more of the market research side of things. But they do do some of that just because again, like we we have so much in our, in our industry around, you know, like third-party cookie loss and a lot, of, a lot of things that are so new that you need to actually understand the market as well. That's a real critical one for us just to make sure that we're, we're keeping everybody current, again, especially across, you know, the different geos and we see different things in, in different regions. For us, verticals and industry is a big thing as well. And so we definitely have somebody that specializes in industries. Something that, that I'll put out for people that that you know i think i've been in organizations similar to sydney i've never had 50 product markers that's amazing <laughs> That's pretty cool, um, but I've been at companies where there's there's definitely a large team. And what I will say is, I've also worked with folks from a, a just that are consultants. So if you don't, if if you're a company that you're like, look, we have three people, you can also work with consultants that understand financial services or healthcare. So that way, you can maybe have them speak at events or kind of just like have them a, as an expert, but not necessarily full time on, on your team. And that that's kind of a hack if people want that. Um, we also have somebody that owns sort of our go-to-market um, and thinking about launches and, and just the customer journey and doing a lot of analysis, understanding you know where we have success, where there's opportunities. We have somebody that does thought leadership and AR, somebody that does pricing, somebody that owns international, somebody that owns customer response and roadmap. And then also um, our partners, because for us, again, our our partner uh, aspect for us is pretty significant. So they really think about the telium plus, um, you know, as an example, Braze, what's that better together story. Um, But what I would say again, just because I imagine a lot of people listening do not have big teams, you can actually consolidate a lot of these, but those are kind of like the core groupings. Um, And we actually have an interesting um, thing where um, one of our founders loves pricing. (laughs) So um, he actually is the individual that does all of our pricing. We're involved, but he just loves it. So I I guess I got lucky there.
0: (laughs) And, and, you know, it's funny you say that because we uh, our last episode was with the uh, VPs of PMM from Gong, High Spot and Sixth Sense, and they each of them had someone dedicated to pricing and packaging. But if you have the uh, the founder of the company wanting to tackle that, then you know you can't say no. But it, right. I was it.
3: wondering if she put her hands in air quotes when she said, "I'm lucky."
2: <laughs> in this case, I am. Uh, thank, thank they're not. We've all been in the situation where we're like, uh, "Yeah, the lucky is definitely in air quotes." It's like, thanks for the thoughts on that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, uh, w- what is product marketing <laughs> look like at uh, at Inveris, and well, uh, how is the team being built out? I yes, am, am joking.
1: Well, as you know, um, <laughs> the product marketing function at Inveris is really small. Um, it's uh, as I said before, it's crazy. It never had a a, a a product marketing function before I joined uh, three months ago, and what was interesting was that, of course, product marketing was being done. Like, it actually proves that you can't actually run a business without product marketing because it was getting done. It just wasn't by people who were called product marketers. And so we had all these incredible pockets of insights and persona work and value work and customer story work that was being done really by just very kind people who knew that these tasks needed to get done. So that's what we sort of walked into about three months ago. But what's been interesting over these three months is that the, the complexity of both the industry, our actual business model and the product set is crazy complex. We provide intelligence uh, to the entire energy industry. So even to financial companies, to power renewables, obviously the operators, midstream, upstream, OFS, there's a whole wealth of uh, segments within that industry. And so what we've decided to, to, to really start looking at is first of all, recruiting internally, you know, we, We need those product marketing theoretical skills, but I think what we need more is people who can really understand for these industries um, what the value statements are. So we're building it out. Um, That's what it looks like right now. Uh, I've had organizations very similar to the other folks speaking, the very similar customer marketing, positioning, solution marketing, industry marketing, all of that good stuff, and we'll get there eventually I know
0: brilliant and so we've talked about what product marketing is uh who it reports to the sub within product marketing so let's get into the win framework now and so first and foremost as part of the the win framework we have to understand who we choose to serve and who we choose to win with right really like and, and who we're going to compete against but let's start with who we choose to win with so How is Telium understanding who they should choose to win with?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting, Rowan, when I joined Telium, we largely sold to enterprises, but we sold to most industries that fit a certain uh, kind of size. And one of the things that we started to look at was, does that make sense? Is that right? Because I think where a lot of folks get into trouble. And you see this a lot in startups where people wanna be all things to all people. And as as everyone here knows, like, that's just not a great plan. So it, one of the things we started to look at was really being clear about our ideal customer profile and, and, and being very, and what's hard about it is it takes discipline. Cause I think no, it always sounds great in theory, like, okay, we're gonna be really focused, but it means saying no. And I, and I think for a lot of folks, like especially in sales, saying no is hard. So when I joined, that was something that we spent a lot of time doing. Is we went through an ICP exercise and we looked at you know a lot of different factors. We looked at historical data, you know where were we winning and having success, and and what I mean by that also is like which customers stayed with us like that were sticky that we could uh, you know really grow the lifetime value of because again you don't want to acquire customers if they're just churning away like that's that's not a good business and, and a lot of a lot of businesses do that believe it or not And so starting to understand, you know, were there, was there a particular size, verticals, were there key titles? And that's actually something that we saw um, that there were. Uh, Certain technographics and firmographics, we looked at as well, because in some cases, um, you can go into a company and you're just like, that's not going to be a good fit, that they don't have quite the need here to be successful. They don't have the team that will make this successful so really kind of understanding those factors and and then being very explicit and consistent with that has helped us immensely I actually think that's one of the best things uh, the team did um, and I think what we're seeing across the board now is that we're just we're winning more we're and we're keeping our retention is actually much better. Um, and so those are things that we look at. And then also uh, the, the deal cycles are, are improving. And, and we look at that pretty closely and we, and, and it's something that I, I will tell people here, I wish it could be your one and done, but it's not. I mean, I think for most industries, it stays uh, somewhat dynamic and you have to keep your eye on it. So what we reevaluate it, um, it, it kind of set time periods, but for us, that's how we did it. And so we definitely see deals that, you know, they come inbound. It's, they look exciting but they do not fit certain criteria and it, it and in some cases, it's not saying you're going to completely walk away, but, you know, winning that deal could be harder and, and it may not be great for the company. So I think just being clear on your ICP is one of the best things that, that people can do, it, it, especially if it's, again, and it's going to be different if, if you're a consumer company and you're selling soap, you know, it's like, yeah, a lot of people can buy and use soap. That's great. But, uh, you know, I think most of your listeners, that's probably not the case They're They're marketing and selling products where, you know, it's not going to be as broadly applicable.
0: I love the focus. I, I love the strategic choice you guys are making about defining who your ICP is and, and then sticking to your guns. Uh, because you're right, the, the retention, the value they get, and then consequently the retention will be, uh, will, will be better. Uh, Sydney, how, is, how have your teams decided who to serve?
3: Well, I, and I'll do most recently at Salesloft. Um, it, it When I first started there, we were primarily a, a platform for SDRs and you know, over the three and a half years expanded for account execs and customer success managers and then sales leaders. And then we were marketing and it almost, it, it got overloaded. It was really hard to build messaging and, and, and content that re- was resonated with all those different audiences. And, and so we had to pull back to primary and secondary. And I think the other thing to really think about in the broader picture is when you're talking about ICP and your ideal customers, you have your buyer profiles and then you have your user profiles. And so many times I think that companies forget to think about the post-sale customer and what they need. And a lot of times the people who buy are not the people that end up being your champion in the long haul. So when you're defining your roles, and you know, I recommend that people do this, and you know, put the roles into Salesforce so you know who you're communicating to. And so we would build all of those pieces out. And as we were training the sales teams, you know, like these are primary. This is who we focus on. This is who marketing is going to talk to. But you may, in, you know, encounter all these other roles, and this is what they care about. But we we they were secondary, and we had to continue to keep going back and refreshing our our uh, persona um, profiles on a yearly basis, just because the product was innovating so
0: quickly. Oh, I love that. And I love that your champion evolves. So initially, you know, when you're in acquisition mode, you're you're, your buyer, 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 who are my buyers. And then once you you get them and and most companies don't do a good job of uh, showing them the the love, the champion then becomes the user um, who will then vouch for your solution. Uh, come renewal times I, I love that you think about it and you want to
3: have yeah. multiple champions too because we know how high turnover is these days so you know your your buyer may not be there your first champion may not be there so you have to continue to cultivate and bring new champions in you know to the relationship and you know if, if you don't have three or four active touch points into account you 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 know you I, I would say that account is at risk
0: love it Carrie, how is your organization, uh, past and present, uh, thinking about who to serve?
1: Yeah, so um, I got given a bit of a gift when I joined Inveris um, because the organization had spent the previous year really digging in at the very detailed level on how we should organize our entire go-to-market model. And that means sales, customer success, and of course marketing. And what that what that analysis showed us was that instead of a product or a business unit approach, we're now organized around segments. It seems pretty obvious, but we're a company that has um, grown organically, but also we've done twenty five acquisitions in about five years. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, the integration is. Ongoing and fun, um, but that meant that we had these very siloed product salespeople, and it was the old, you know, problem of ten salespeople all driving up on the bus to a particular account. So what we did for this year, for this for this fiscal year, was we had this huge undertaking into really figuring out what were the segments, and also the um, the tiers within those segments. Because why did we do that? Well, we know that we can provide way more value um, to an account than just one product. right? And so the outcome of that, uh, that analytics was essentially a redesign of customer success, sales, and now, of course, now I'm here with marketing. And the outcome of all of that Analysis, which again is a is a is a gift to a CMO. I mean, this is the stuff that we have to do when we when we join organizations. But we also now have this really great white space um, analytics that drives all of our go, uh, marketing go-to-market motion, um, especially for those growth marketers that I that I talked about previously, who really have that that tight integration into the sales organization. So it's been a it's been a um, it's been a fascinating situation to just walk into uh, because it's kind of like strategically we figured out the secret sauce of targeting um, our wonderful customers and we get we get to execute on that.
0: I love it and you know the and
1: the, with lots of data which is always my favorite
0: and, and that's what i was going to say and heidi touched upon this as well she they they utilized data to figure out who their their icps were so that uh, a the value resonated and b the retention and the churn numbers uh, you know head south uh, rather than north being empathetic collaborators i think is is one of the uh, the best skills a cmo can have Uh, being storytellers, of course, but being data driven, especially in today's day and age, truly using the data to understand who your customer is and who we choose to serve and who we more importantly choose not to serve is is crucial.
4: And speaking of data, so once you've got the who, so you understand who you're going to win with. And inevitably, once you know that, you know that there are going to be competitors coming after that same ICP. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but I'd love to just dig in a little bit bit deeper. Uh, Sydney, Carrie, Heidi, how are you bettering the odds of winning by understanding who you're competing against and what the competitive alternatives for your ICPs are? And again, we'll start with Sydney.
3: Well, we were in an extremely competitive market, probably similar to Heidi when Marketo and Ella were going at it. Um, so sales off versus outreach was, you know, they ran every single deal. And and so we, you know, we, we knew how they would sell and we did secret shoppers, you know, to across all the competitors to understand like how they're positioning, how, how they were positioned, you know, if, if they knew we were in the mix. So, so we, we knew in detail, the <laughs> kind of how, how, uh, how competitors were competing against us. Um, and you know, I think we just, we chose to not go into the FUD game. We chose to stay the high road and really just deliver a great customer experience and listen to the customer and what they needed versus really focusing on the competitor. And that worked well for us, that you know, people preferred to know that they were the center of attention and not your, your competitor. Um, while, you know, some of our competitors were were doing that, um, you know, so I think it's just, you know, that deep intel, but not just of the product level capabilities, because then you get into a checklist feature war, I think you really have to differentiate on the selling experience, which starts with knowing your customer.
1: And Carrie? Uh, yes, yeah, so um, again, uh, functionally, it's very new, um, but just almost philosophically, in the past, we've tended to really see the Competition as one or two players, but when you take a step back and look at the energy industry as a whole across all of our solutions, the competition um, is extremely varied. Even you know, for one, for one industry. So my belief is the first part of this, the, the whole exercise around CI, is really understanding the value our customers get from us. Um, And understanding like at a, whether it's a solution level or a platform level or a company level, however you you, um, provide value to your customers, going, you know, that whole checklist of feature versus feature, it just never works, Mm -hmm. right? Especially if you want to grow your organization and really scale it, you can't just be Uh, building and selling features just to beat the competition. So always think about it from a customer's perspective and the value that they're getting from us that they couldn't get from other areas. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that we're we're doing is actually as part of that really in-depth understanding of our customers, we're also setting up a brand new customer marketing function, which will really help us get into the the hearts and minds of, um, of our customers. And then the final thing is, this was uh, an exercise that we actually did in one of my previous companies, which I thought was a, just an interesting take on the competition. And we, we actually looked at um, not necessarily our products, but we actually did a competitive comparison of our marketing function as a whole right so how did they message where would, where did they live who were they hanging out with what was their social um strategy all of the things that marketing does it was just an it was a very internal look at our comp our competitors but it it really gave us some insights into how we could market differently let alone message differently just so
4: Oh, that's super interesting. Um, I, I love that. Um, and then Heidi, did you have anything else to add?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll make it fast. But I think the first thing I'll say is having competitors is is good. <laughs> and yep. I think I think it's like, sometimes I think about it, there, there are people in industries where there's not a lot of competition. And that's, that's not good. <laughs> that means you're not in a, uh, you know, a growing and interesting space. So I try to kind of see the positive of it. And I think, you know, definitely having messaging that's clear. I think, again, like in tech, it, often a lot of companies kind of sound similar. And I think, just just being very clear about who you are and and who you are not is is big. I think something we try to do at Telium is, is being seen as the trusted advisor and providing value. I mean, at the end of the day, I think when you put yourself in your buyer's shoes, like all of us have been buyers of technology, often you have tons of tools in your own business that they're considered competitors of each other. But you don't care as the buyer. Right. It doesn't matter. And so I think Sydney's point about just kind of tuning some of that out and just focusing on bringing value to your buyer and and doing what helps them. Um, And then the last thing I'll add is something that we've been kind of toying around with is providing what I would say are kind of these memorable moments for your customers. It's, it's like, how do you stand out to them? And how do you do something that's just really special or amazing? It's like all of us can picture going to a restaurant and you love that restaurant because of the bread. It's like the best bread. You don't remember the pasta. You, you may not care about the dessert, but that bread was awesome. And it doesn't have to be the most expensive thing, but something that just stands out to them where it's like, wow, you know, Telium, they, they really did an amazing job. Helping us establish a baseline and showing value to our exec team, whatever that is, I think that's an area for me that I, I try to think a lot about.
0: And Heidi, let's stay with you for a moment here. So you know, once your teams have identified your ideal customers and your your sworn enemies, uh, the hard part begins, which is ensuring that your Telium customers realize an impact. Uh, after hiring your solution for their job to be done. So how are your teams, whether that's product marketing and or others uh, coupled with product marketing, how are they defining, determining the value that your Telium solution offers to that, that customer you chose to serve?
2: I, I really love this question because I think a lot of uh, folks in, in, you know, that are probably listening, I think a lot of us assume values obvious in many cases. Like, of course, people understand it. Of course, they see it. And, you know, I saw this during my time at Marketo as well. Often buyers, they don't know how to measure the value themselves. They, they might be excited. They might say, wow, you know, this is helping me do something faster or, but they don't necessarily know how to be as effective as possible showing that value internally So I think something that we do, um, we have a a great value engineering team, but we go in with our customers when they first, you know, buy TLM. We help them take a baseline so they understand kind of where they're at today. What are some of the challenges that they're, you know, trying to make improvements on? We definitely recommend use cases to get started because again, a lot of solutions um, I'm sure your listeners have. They kind of um, you know, in many cases, it can be choose your own adventure. Right. And it and I don't like leaving that to chance. So I think it's our job to be the trusted advisor for people, helping them with use cases, getting that kind of baseline and really kind of partnering uh, throughout the journey with them uh, to make sure that they are seeing business outcomes that are important for them. Now, again, it's going to depend on your product that might look different if, you know, you're you're, you're buying something uh, that's, you know, super, you know, straight straightforward or simple. But I think for a lot of, you know, enterprise products that um, have a lot of capability, I mean, Marketo was one of these two, it's like, is it nurture that you set up first? Is it what is it? And I think I noticed there was a lot more success when we could make those recommendations. So that that's kind of how we think through it.
0: Brilliant. And I love the um the the utilization of use cases to align to their jobs to be done because they can they they can make that correlation once you make the use cases clear. Uh, yeah. Carrie, how how is your team helping customers realize the impact of the value that you provide?
1: Yeah. So um I I always look at desired outcomes, right? Because if you If you reach the desired outcome, then in theory, you're providing value. But I will say, first of all, can none of us say that value is being driven in a customer if they log in every day? Can we not use that as a measurement, please? I'm just stating that to begin with. Um, (laughs) I want to focus on the outcomes and not the logins. Um, But what's interesting is in the energy industry, the, the desired outcomes are actually ever-changing metrics. And with every geopolitical incident, those outcomes, actually the desired outcomes change significantly. So if you, we just look at the oil and gas side, right, which is we've gone from focusing on getting financing, exploration, to really focusing on good old asset performance and efficiency to the bottom line. And that's a very different outcome than getting capital and doing exploration. So what we need to understand is uh, to really understand the dynamic of the industry in order to be matching what our value needs to be with the outcomes required by the customers at that time. Um, Another example of this is ESG traditionally in early cycles of the energy industry was not on the radar, but now is supremely important, obviously, both um, across our customers, but at any, any organization. So that's that's how I like to think of it, is, uh, is really what are the outcomes that our customers in a particular industry are really desiring.
0: And, and you touched on something, Carrie. Sydney, I'm gonna to get to you in a second. Kerry, you touched on something. So it's not, you know, Value uh, needs to be provided in context, and I'll use that word again and again, context, context. It it needs to be provided in the context of your customer's environment, which can always be changing, and God knows we all know that over the past couple of years. Uh, So always understand the context upon which your customer is operating in. Nuance your value accordingly. I I love that. It's not a one-size-fits-all for the next five years, and this is the value you provide. Uh, depending on the customer, the context, uh, the, the value then has to be nuanced. Sydney, over to you. How are okay. your teams defining value that resonate with your customers?
3: I, I think you always, you know, I like to link it to pain too. So you, you almost start with pain and then you link that to outcome and, and then what drives value from that. And I 100% agree with what Heidi said is linking that to use cases and jobs to be done. And And in enterprise, I think those value engineering teams are incredibly strategic, but when you're running in an SMB, a lot of times you can keep it simple. And I always like to start, if something doesn't exist, I have to give a shout out to the Forrester TEI program. You know, they do a great job of being able to help assess value in a pretty simplified way. Um, so, you know, if if people haven't, don't have the means to have a value engineering team, then, then marketing can definitely sponsor a TEI. Um, and then the other thing that I learned over the years of, of leading value engineering teams is to keep it simple. You know, a lot of times it's just one thing. You don't need the 10-page or 15-page report. You just need to assess it to the one value that the customer believes in and is enough to build a business case around. So at Salesoft, you know, we were lucky that we could tie immediately to revenue performance. When you put in SalesOft, You know, the the quality of the activities increased, more meetings were booked, more revenue was driven. And and that was a beautiful thing as a marketer to market products that had that direct tie to revenue that could be proven and seen instantaneously. But a lot of times, too, it could be productivity gains of saving time or how you might retain your employees. So I think you want to look at all different aspects. But when doing the work with the customer, just pick one or two. That's all that's needed.
4: That makes sense, and everything that that you've been talking about here about, especially you know, the kind of the contrast with the pain and the use cases and the customers and competitors, all of those things together, like individually, are important, but they don't really make an impact until you roll those into a narrative. And what are the stories for those various audiences? Your internal, your internal audiences, your external audiences. So when it comes to putting that narrative together, what does that look like in your world? And we'll go Sydney, Carrie, Heidi uh, for that. So Sydney, what does narrative mean to you? What does that look like for you?
3: Yeah, it's almost like now you're really looking for the unicorn, right? <laughs> I want the product marketer that can you know, stand on the main stage and motivate everybody and then really get their hands deep into the product and be able to run a strategy I and mean, be like, You know, there's lots of different facets of of the product marketing role, but, you know, narrative is telling the story and, and making sure that you're doing a, a good job to enable the company to align to that story that defines your value, showcases your unique approach and is rooted in, in, you know, customer value points or customer proof points. And I don't think it's, I think we've gone away from, hey, everybody has to tell the same story and you have to be certified on the pitch and it, you have to follow this you know, word for word narrative, but you want to make sure that they're, you're, you're keeping crisp on the point so the story resonates in market and you are training on the consistency. Um, but yeah, it would be, it'd be the, the you know, what, what is our unique positioning? How does that rooted in customer proof points and, and, and align to the vision of and mission of the company?
4: Yeah, there's a there's a lot of situational awareness in there that that you have to always keep top of mind as well. You want to come back to your consistent points, but at the same time, you're not a robot, right? Yeah, you've got it. Because all of a sudden they go off
3: script and they don't know what to say. I mean, they really yeah. it needs to be in their their own words. Um, yeah. And and I, I love testing messaging with with your customer advisory boards too. <laughs> you know, because
1: you never get it right the first time. <laughs> right.
4: um, Carrie, what what is narrative like
1: for you? Yeah, so it's interesting, it's, it's kind of like my, I take my product marketing hat off at this point and also almost put my growth marketing hat on um, because for me, getting the story out has to serve two purposes. Then the, the actual words need to provide value at that point for the customer. It's not about our software at this point providing value. It's about me as a marketer: is this story providing value? Um, so that's the first thing. And the second thing is: is it actually going to make us a dollar of revenue? So are we putting this? Are we putting this narrative out that provides value to our customers, and that this is not an all, and provides a dollar of revenue? And for me, that is not decks or eBooks or, you know, standard PDFs. For me, it's all about the customer learning and we need to help our customers. And even before they buy our solutions and we become an educator through our words and not a storyteller.
4: Yeah, that's that's huge. Again, they need to walk away feeling smarter than they did before they engaged with you. So I 100 percent agree with you. And then Heidi, real quick.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you actually used a a word that I was going to use and I like kind of showing people like it's, I I kind of always picture like you go in and you're you're seeing a group of 10 people and you're walking through things. And I've definitely had people sell to me where it's like, Hey, everything you're doing right now is it's pretty bad. (laughs) Um, I don't know what you, what, what, how you've been operating, but (laughs) this it's going to be great. And, you know, no one likes to feel bad or unintelligent, right? Like that, that to me is, so I kind of like the tone of like, look, you guys are doing great, but if you make these tweaks, here's where you can get to, and that's going to feel good, you know, and then put in kind of the value statements, which resonate to them. And that could be, again, time savings, more revenue, better retention. I mean... It, but I like kind of being, again, that trusted advisor that makes it feel possible and attainable. Because I always say, you know, marketers and business people, they're smart. They're just really busy. they're People have a lot going on. So you've got to just make it feel attainable and exciting. And there I, I will highlight, there's got to be some kind of emotional element in it. I mean, even though a lot of you know people listening might be in B2B, they're still we're still humans at the end of the day. And we all wanna feel like we're just rocking it in our jobs. And to me, a good narrative does that. It, it makes you feel inspired and, and, and ready to take action.
4: Yeah, you, you need to lace in the pain without calling their baby ugly, right? <laughs> right. And you, 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 yeah. you absolutely do. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Leslie, let's, uh, by the way, Carrie, I, I love what you said, uh, you know, the stories, if it doesn't serve two purposes, which is number one, educate on the value to the customer. And number two, uh, the story has to 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 turn a dollar; uh, otherwise, it's just fluff, and and sales will roll their eyes. I absolutely love that, uh, Leslie. Let's end yes. the podcast with you. Okay. The office of the CMO. End of the day, we're here to help acquisition, retention, expansion objectives for the organization. I welcome your take on how should. Whether it's the CMO, whether it's the head of product marketing, how should these folks approach articulating value to their customers through their narratives?
4: So the first thing is those three scenarios that you you mentioned, acquisition, retention, expansion, is understanding that those are all different conversations. um, Because you have to make a determination as a marketer whether or not you want to disrupt their status quo and get them to do something different or whether if it's an existing customer, you are the status quo and the last thing in the world you want to do is come in and disrupt yourself. So understanding that there are different buyer psychologies for each one of those scenarios and then crafting your narrative according to where your customer is and it's, it's not so much about identifying a persona about who the customer is, it's about where they are in this decision journey that they have. And I could, I could riff for hours on that topic, but I think, you know, at its core, just understanding whether or not you're talking to a prospect or existing customer, and what do you want to do as a marketer, as a seller, to either disrupt or reinforce their status quo is a huge first
2: step.
0: Oh, I love it. You you called it, you didn't call it the buying journey. You called it the decision journey. It's and the deciding journey, so yes. Because it, people have a choice and they have a lot of decisions to make and uh, deciding to pick us as a vendor or not is uh, why they hire us as marketers. Um, it's not
4: a buying I, journey unless they actually buy something. So
0: I, I love it. I love it. Well, well listen, thank you all for providing the product marketing community your time your brilliant insights and uh, I am nothing but certain that each one of you are absolute winners and help your organization's position to win keep doing what you're doing your organizations are lucky to have you and I'm very fortunate and lucky to have had you on the podcast have a lovely lovely evening and long weekend